Welcome back, everyone, to the Fake Nerd Book Club. It has been quite some time since we've done an episode of the Fake Nerd Book Club. So if you are not familiar with the show, real quickly, it is a spinoff of the Fake Nerd Podcast where we talk about comic books. You're all caught up. I am Brandon T. McClure on this new uh, variant. I'm calling it I'm calling it the Fake Nerd Book Club variant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today uh, I am joined. We're get the we're going to get the the uh, the t- the what is it the not TSA the the other ones coming after us. Oh yeah, the, the, t- the TVA. TVA, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm so I'm calling this my my book my favorite book club variant. Um, and uh, we're, we're talking about Star Trek comics. Uh, this this is this is just gonna be Star Trek comics, and I am joined on this journey with my friend Travis Alexander from Kaiju Ramen Media. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. I'm excited to talk about Star Trek because uh, I don't get to talk about Star Trek enough. Like we were talking about just before we jumped in that uh, I don't get to talk enough about Star Trek with with everything that I do with Kaiju Ramen. So I, I'm glad I'm able to get on here and talk about Star Trek because I love it. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. Uh, you and I have been talking for a while. We work together at Kaiju Ramen. Why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about Kaiju Ramen and a little bit about your interests? Well, so Kaiju Ramen Media is a uh, fan magazine and now multimedia company, really, uh, that I started uh, with along with my friend Michael Hamilton. And now we have a few other friends that have joined us along the way. Uh, And it really was just we we wanted to celebrate our love of giant monster movies. So, you know, we're big fans of Godzilla, of King Kong, of all these these giant monster movies franchises and we wanted to celebrate that in a way that also brought in the creativity and the love from other fans and so that's why we started we started kaiju ramen magazine and it's kind of expanded out we have our own website now that also covers news and we have a a weekly podcast that covers news in the world of giant monster movies and we have podcasts that have kind of spun off of that and so it's just kind of expanded out and uh and so you know i i am a a giant monster donkey (laughs) i i love giant monsters and always will godzilla i you know i live and breathe godzilla but i am a uh, you know at heart a sci-fi nerd I I grew up loving sci-fi in general, and so Star Trek was one of those things I grew up loving. Uh, Obviously, Star Wars, too. Not going to pick sides. (laughs) I I will. Star Trek's better. Well, the thing is, see, (laughs) Star Trek, I always loved uh, more than Star Wars because... It just it appeals to me uh, you know, on a personal level, but my mom loves Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And because she doesn't like a lot of the nerdy things, I kind of like I get into Star Wars just so that I can share that with her because there's not very many interests that we share. So, yeah, I'm the same way. My my late father, uh, he wasn't a big sci fi nerd. He wasn't a geek or a nerd like I was. But one man, one day I'll never forget this for as long as I live and primarily because it was kind of the last thing we shared together. But he Mm -hmm. he told me he saw that I was reading Dune. I was reading the Mm -hmm. I was reading the book Dune because we were going to do the book and the movie together when, when the movie came out and he said to me, he's like, Oh, you're reading Dune. I love that book. I go, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I read all of them. I'm like, I'm sorry. What? You read all the Dune novels. Are you yeah, yeah. now to tell me this? <laughs> yeah. I was like, where did, where did this come from? It's like, he's a yeah. huge Dune fan. He was like super excited for the movie. And I was like, damn, I did yeah. not know that about you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it, so Star Wars is that thing, but uh, I also grew up reading comic books. Um, you know, my dad was a huge comic book nerd. He had a bunch of comics from when he was a kid, a lot of uh, stuff from the sixties and seventies. So, so stuff that's, you know, now probably very valuable and everything. And so, you know, Spider-Man and, and Black Panther are my two favorite characters. Um, so, you know, just really love those. Uh, I also, I tend to lean towards kind of weirder things. Like for anybody who knows me knows I lean towards more obscure and weird things like, you know, comic in the comic book world. I love like streaky, the super cat and, and the pet Avengers and things like that. The weirder is squirrel girl. I love squirrel girl. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I do lean towards, kind of more weirder obscure things uh common writer if anybody knows what common writer is that's kind of a very weird 
niche thing within the niche of giant monster kind of related stuff so love that so yeah i'm just one of those weird nerds that just likes very weird and obscure things <laughs> uh, uh, you said something a little earlier and, and to, to kind of get us uh, to segue into what we're talking about today i'm going to quickly turn into a conversation episode for a minute <laughs> um the um i don't i don't think there is quite a large leap from being a sci-fi nerd to a kaiju nerd Right, right. And yeah, and a lot of those, a lot of, especially if you're an Amer, if you like a lot of the American giant monster movies, like, you know, you, you were talking about, like, uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms or, you know, things like that. They were all sci fi movies. Like, they were all, like, at their core, sci fi movies that just happen to also feature giant monsters in them. Uh, now, you, when you get into the kaiju, giant monster genre you find out that oh there's some that kind of play with some are not so sci-fi some of them are more fantasy some of them are you know there is that kind of like uh branching of the genre but yeah yeah so i i I think that if you start as it's it's the same with like a um someone who loves dinosaurs it's like there's not a huge leap from liking dinosaurs to liking you know giant monster stuff and and everything that that leap that line is very narrow between those two things so it's nice that we get to you know cross over here and there i love yeah. it so so let's get on to let's let, let's get kind of into the to what we're talking yes. we're here to talk about today so um you know i wanted a place to where i was going to be able to talk about star trek so I took Fake Nerds Watch. I've already talked to you about this before the show. So I yeah. took Fake Nerds Watch to do it. And then I realized, I looked at my shelf. I got my comic book shelves right here. And you know what? You know what, Travis? I've got many Star Trek comic books that oh, I have wow. not read. Oh, wow. And I was thinking to myself, I need to read these. And you know what I need to do? I need to make content out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's uh, the point in doing anything if you don't make content for the Internet? Nowadays? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, no, this was, so this is, so this is, um, Victor's watch will probably return in a more kind of official capacity, but this is going to be my kind of series where I talked with you and, um, we have, a, we have another friend who will be on board, um, when we can't, when we can get him. Um, I, 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 I chose two people with drastically different, um, time zones as, as I, as I am. So yeah, it's know. hard, man. It's hard with those time zones. Yeah. But there's always time. You just got to find it. Yeah. Yeah, time um, so, is just a wibbly wobbly ball of stuff. Exactly, <laughs> Doctor Who fans, right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're talking today about Star Trek Discovery Aftermath, mm-hmm. which is technically a proof of concept for Strange New Worlds. Okay. Um, it was it was written by Kristen Beyer, uh, Kirsten Beyer. Sorry, who's written mm-hmm. many things. I recently talked about something that Kirsten, Kirsten Beyer wrote, which is um. Star Trek Picard. Oh shit! What's the title of that thing? It's an audio drama where Seven of Nine oh, okay. and Raffi Musiker, um, yeah, have sex for an hour and a half, and it's great. Um, that's not the plot of it, but like it's it's a very steamy, I mean, very sexy. Uh, sure. <laughs> I really I really like Seven and Raffi, so I was happy to read it. Yeah. <laughs> this is also written by Mike Johnson with art by Tony Chast. I should have written this better. Chastine. Mm-hmm. Um. So. What did you think of this? Um, so overall, I liked the comic. Um, I, as much as I do like comics, and I did grow up reading comics, I never read that many Star Trek comics. So this is mm-hmm. kind of new territory for me getting into it. Um, and I, I like the story. I like where they were going with it, knowing that it came out at a time when Strange New Worlds had not come out yet. Uh, so. You know, knowing that it's like a proof of concept of Strange New Worlds is makes a lot more sense because reading it now with the hindsight that, you know, Strange New Worlds is now getting into season two. Right. It's like, well, you know, OK, this is this kind of is a nothing comic because we know where the characters end up. We know where it goes. But I get that, you know, when it came out, it was it was kind of a very uh, important, interesting story. People were palpable for um, they they were desperate for more adventures with Kirk with Kirk uh, Pike and Pike, Spock yeah. and Una and they wanted they wanted it so badly and I think mm-hmm. IDW was really smart to capitalize on that right away being like here's mm-hmm. three issues of of them to kind of be like hey there's an audience for this which I I I don't think the comic is 
directly responsible, but I think the comic did help kind of uh, convince Paramount Plus to be like, okay, you know what? Let yes, let's make let's make Strange New Worlds. Yeah, and if 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 nothing else, it kept the it kept that fresh in the minds of at least a a portion of the fandom the portion that would that went out and read this uh so that when strange new worlds did come around it was like the the star trek never really left that storyline was still kind of fresh yeah. uh so yeah i like that my biggest pet peeve with it i think is artwork um yeah. and and that's and it's not a, a knock on the artist himself I think it's a him. Um, if I'm wrong, then I'm sorry. But it's not a knock on the artwork or the artist himself, but I don't like when they try to do that photorealistic um, or not even photorealistic, but just like very, very accurate to the real life people mm-hmm. style of artwork. And there's a lot of tracing, I noticed. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of tracing. And they're trying to stay on model, quote unquote, on model with the actors and stuff who play these characters because you have um, uh, Ethan Peck and and uh, Anson Mount and all of them, Rebecca Remain. Um, so but the problem that I have when when a comic does that is that human faces, when when we're looking at another human, we are we are made to to recognize subtle ticks in our faces and in and, and faces. But when you put that on paper, the, the, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. So with art forms and comic book forms and, and you get, you, you usually have to exaggerate, a, you know, facial expressions, like everything's heightened, everything's exaggerated because, you know, it being a 2d form, a static form, not moving, having those exaggerated expressions helps a reader, kind of understand the emotions and stuff that's going on and read them in their faces. But when you're doing, when you're taking directly from a person's like actual photograph and stuff, they may be emoting and they, and, and if you see them in real life, they're, they're emoting in a way that you can recognize because it's little subtle things. But when you draw it out, it's, it just looks, like like they're staring blankly and there's a lot of blank staring in this in this comic and it's so funny because you can tell the difference between the characters that are based on live action actors and the characters who are you know strictly for this comic book and not from that because you can see the difference in the way that their faces are drawn and the way that they they emote in their faces so yeah it's just something that it's a pet peeve i have with this type of comic being so on model that you kind of you're not stylizing it enough. I think it needs to be more stylized. Sure. I agree with that actually. Um, especially your comment where you said that um, you can tell who was drawn for the comic and who was mm-hmm. an actor for the show. And I, I kind of have a love hate relationship with Star Trek comics in general. I think for the most part, most of the original stuff is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, like when they really get some great writers on it and, and some great artists on it. And I think there are artists who can walk the line of making these characters look like they do in the show, whereas also making them more exaggerated for a comic book medium. Mm-hmm. I think uh, J.K. Woodward is pretty good at that because his kind of photorealistic style um, works, but you can also tell it's a comic book. Even though mm-hmm. there's a stiffness to it, right? Mm-hmm. And like most people, most of the act, most of the characters are really stiff. And that's kind of where I have the biggest issue with this one specifically is that I'm not even talking like Spock. Spock is meant to be stiff like this, but Pike, he doesn't really yeah. move. But and then when he does, there's a moment where he's where he's like drinking the gawk. Mm-hmm. Like that looks really good because that's in a comic book that that that's, yeah. that he's not that you would never see Anson Mount pick up a large bowl of worms right. and dump it into his mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that yeah. looks really good because that feels like it's from a comic book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There there are moments like that in this. That I'm like, oh, man, I wish it was more comic comic booky in its art style instead of being so adherent to. And maybe it was maybe it's a it's a challenge for this artist. I don't know because I don't know this artist um, mm-hmm. and their their body of work. But maybe they're not used to working 
on a book where they have to create something that looks like a specific individual. Maybe they are used to doing something where they can just create the faces in their own mind and draw it out. And so having to work from the photos, and like you said, maybe even tracing from the photos, it just, yeah, it was very stiff. Um, I was thinking of when Una appears uh, the first time. She's so blank face you know, and, and, and looks almost ugly. And, and I, and I, I hate to say that because Rebecca remain is one of the most beautiful women in, in the world. And, and yet this, like in the comic, she's so blank and so just almost ugly to look at because there's just no life to that face. There's a subtlety to Rebecca remains performance as Una that mm. you see in discovery and strange new worlds that uh trace that tracing that face just won't be able to convey right um, and i i i do believe like i don't i don't i don't mean this accusatorily because because i think when there's one shot specifically that kind of cued me into this and it's when anson mount it's when pike is talking to terrell that's the klingon chancellor terrell? okay uh laurel 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 terrell someone else yeah. um laurel and he's and it's like he's kind of like you know he's kind of like leaned over his mm-hmm. chair and looking up and i'm like i've seen that promo image mm-hmm. like i've seen that image specifically as Ansema. and so like i think it was i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to trace actors that you want to see as these characters but i think you do lose the performance Mm-hmm. When you're trying to just be like, okay, yeah, this is where Anson Mount comes in. So I, I need him to look like Anson Mount. Right. Yeah. It's, it is kind of a, I, I don't think the tracing was a, was a lazy thing. I just think it was maybe not the best stylistic choice. Yeah. It's, it's more of a balance thing. It's like you have to balance being close to the, the, or what we say on model. That's an animation term, yeah. but I'm going to use it on here, but being on model and, and stylizing it enough to where it reads well. And I think that they just they just missed that balance in this. Now, to be fair, the the version that I, the the omnibus of this that I was reading had the one shot um, Captain Saru from Discover the Discovery comic, mm-hmm. um, and that the artist on that did a lot better. It was a lot more stylized, but they were still they still looked exactly like the actors, and you could tell who they were, but they were a lot more stylized. And you could read the emotions on their faces and it, it just felt a lot more comfortable to read. Whereas this, like we said, was a lot more stiff. So it is just a balancing act. And I think this, this artist just didn't hit the right balance there. Yeah. Um, let's move into some of the story beats of this one, because I think um, there's, there's some interesting things happening with the, with the Klingons that I really appreciate, which is we meet core um, mm-hmm. who looks like the actor from the original series Yes. Um, actually, I think they do a pretty good job. But like, they give him like longer hair, which was funny. <laughs> yeah, they give him longer hair, and he doesn't have the the ridges um, yeah. because in his first appearance, he has that genetic thing that they did back. You know, that, that basically explains why the Klingons didn't look like that in the sixties. Um, and, and so they didn't give him the ridges, whereas all the other Klingons around him did. So it was very interesting that they paid that much attention to detail that they were able to do that. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to point out that I really like that idea that I don't think this was the intention when they made discovery, but it has, I think since become the intention that not all Klingons in the Klingon empire look the same. Not all of them look like discovery Klingons. Not all of them look like TOS Klingons and not all of them look like Worf. Um, and I like that idea that we see, because I don't know if you've seen the first episode of Strange New Worlds yet. Season mm-hmm. two? Yeah. yeah. Um, w- the Klingons don't look like the Discovery Klingons in that no. one either. No, they don't. I really like that design. So I like the idea that if we're going to keep the Discovery designed Klingons, that there are other Klingons out there and, and mm-hmm. bringing core in. I don't, I hope the show doesn't uh, bring in core specifically, but I do hope that the show allows us to see some Klingons without the head ridges. Yeah, I I would be as much as as nice as it would be to kind of have that callback not only to the original series but also to Deep Space 9 which core, you know, played an important part in. Uh to to have those callbacks it would be really nice in the show, 
but I also kind of like I don't I don't want them to because we know where core is going to end up with Kirk and Spock and all of them. Like we know where he's going to be. I'd rather them not kind of build too much in that. I was kind of interested though, because the, it seemed like they were hinting to something in this comic for him because he said, Oh, I'll take care of mother, which is, was Laurel, the cha- the chancellor. But then nothing ever came of that. So I'm like, are they trying to say that they're going to build something into the show? Are they going to do this? I don't know. It just seemed kind of odd that it was this random thing that never went, that didn't go anywhere in the comic. Kirsten Beyer was pretty plugged in to Mm -hmm. the Star Trek writers room on Discovery and Picard. I think she's credited as as a co-creator of Picard. Mm. Um, And she, I'm sure, had talks with strange new worlds when it was kind of being conceived. And I do wonder if maybe there was an idea before they kind of switched it up and decided the Gorn were going to be the bigger, the bigger villains. I wonder mm-hmm. if there was an idea that the Klingons were going to be, because this also ends kind of abruptly with like, Oh, we didn't get a peace treaty maybe next time. Right. And I wonder if maybe that was supposed to be like, Oh, we're, I wonder if it's like, we're leaving intentional threads open for a potential show to do, or if, the show that they were initially working on evolved right. over time. Yeah, it does feel like that because even even with uh, even with season one of Strange New Worlds, as much as I love that show, I feel like they were kind of testing some things out to see what hit well with audiences. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know some of some of it didn't, some of it felt more like a testing ground than than anything and so and and discovery itself was a testing ground for a lot of these ideas and stuff so so yeah you're right that maybe they they had bigger plans and maybe those plans have changed maybe there were plans for season three <laughs> maybe oh we'll God. have season three <laughs> i don't think they were confident they were gonna get a third season uh, um, yeah no you never know though i mean but plan ahead and you know, hope for the best and plan for the worst <laughs> yeah i do, i do like that we the we we're going to see more Klingons um, just specifically in Stranger Worlds. And I, I, I would like the idea of keeping this idea of the comic that, you know, there, there are these Klingons with this genetic defect that took away their mm-hmm. head ridges that we could see again in, in a more prominent role, because those were the only Klingons we saw in the original series. And there really has mm-hmm. to, at the point that they are at now where we've seen so many Klingons with the ridges, they have to explain why the prominent Klingon mm-hmm. wasn't, was without. Right. Um, and you you could have you could you could just say you know what forget it it's fine just head it, it's fine whatever but yeah. i'd rather than not yeah yeah um, but i do like the expanding of the universe by adding core in because you know showing how integral he is to klingon history and klingon and federation history by being there you know through all of it like he was there during the initial peace talks and he's going to be there through a lot of the those things he's there in the original series he's there in deep space nine during the dominion war you know it's like Mm -hmm. there's so many things that he has been a part of and you see why he is such a respected and well uh well-beloved person within the universe by the time you get to deep space nine, because he's been just, you know, for what, what is it like 200 years at that point? Like, yeah, yeah. Like 200 years of being involved in Klingon Federation history. So I like seeing him in this younger, in this younger Mm -hmm. phase. And they, I've joked about his hair, but I do actually think it's an effective clue as to how young this version of core is meant to be um he's more he's still commander but he's more brash he's more Mm -hmm. um he's more eager to please yeah um which i which i i liked um i don't i never really loved laurel though on discovery and i i don't think that changes here so Laurel Laurel has been an interesting character because I like certain aspects of her character, but then other characters I feel like they kind of almost feel forced, like they like she has to do this because it makes sense in the show, not mm-hmm. because this is something the character would realistically do. So there's a lot of decisions that she makes that d- don't set well with me even within the comic book it just kind of feels a little odd some of the decisions that she makes i do like that she reaches out to spock though 
Sure. I do like that she reaches out to Spock and asks for Spock's assistance because she notices that Spock is not in uniform. So mm -hmm. she's like, okay, you're a Vulcan. You're not in uniform. I know you, though, because I've seen you around. So it's like, so what's going on? So maybe you're a more of a neutral party. And that's actually a really good. That's actually something that I really like about its connection to Discovery, where Laurel says, I knew Michael, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like they have this kind of like because Spock can't talk about his sister because of what happened at the end of season two. Right. Um, so he can't really talk to anyone outside of uh, Pike about about this. But there's this other person who's got no investment, no assigned NDA for Starfleet to be like, hey, yep, I met Michael. Yep. Exactly. Uh, you know, we can we have that connection. Let's talk real quick. Yeah. And and if and if we're to believe what the writers and, and showrunners are trying to make us believe, uh, Michael is the most important person in the in the galaxy. <laughs> I, I was so bummed. So the thing the, the the weird the weird thing is about that is so I like the first season of Discovery fine. I think it's a pretty uh -huh. good I think it's a pretty good season. Um, I like the second season a lot. And I think the second season mm -hmm. like really sings. Yeah, to me, that's where it picks up. Yeah, me too. Season three and four, I haven't been too crazy about. I do like the new setting. I like some of the other things. Yeah. But I don't love that because I don't, I didn't feel this in season one. I don't love that post season two, Michael is the most important person in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't really, I know that's pro that's not like, an intentional thing that the writers keep trying to do. She is the main character for Star Trek show, which is unheard of in Star Trek. Right. Um, yeah. So it's very difficult to walk that line. I'm not, I'm not saying that something good can't be done of it. It's just right. humorous to me that we have, that this comic had that as a side effect, be like, Hey, remember right. Michael Burnham who saved everyone who is right, supposed yeah. to be here, but can't be here. Right. The linchpin like, really? of everything. Yeah. No, I so unlike a lot of or well, I won't say even a lot, unlike some Star Trek fans, I don't have a problem with Michael Burnham as a character. I think yeah. as a character, she's OK. But to me, the way that they the way that they did the show and kind of the, like I said, the, with the showrunner and the, and the writers, it, it almost feels like like um bbc's uh sherlock where mm. he's the smartest and the most important person because we say so not because of anything else or, or even the when um uh in some of the later uh moffat doctor who seasons and, and like episodes where doctor the doctor is the most important person in the universe not because of anything the doctor's done to merit it, but just because he is the doctor. And mm -hmm. it's like, no, I, I don't mind a character being the most important person in the universe, but you have to, you have to earn that. And even, even a character with the, with the kind of, you know, heavy weight of, of, you know, pedigree and everything that, that the doctor has, it still feels like within that season, you have to earn it. And I just don't feel like, you know, Michael Burnham as a character is great, but she hasn't earned the right to be like thus the central character that everything is built around. And mm -hmm. that's just kind of how I feel. And I, I think that that's just, that's a letdown from the, the, the writers and the showrunners, not so much the actor, because the actor is great. I forget her name, but oh, she's thin. Celia Martin Green. No, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, that's a horror. No, that yeah, that's a horror. No, who is that? Oh what God, Sonequa Martin Green. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, that was close. I, that's why I remember Martin Green. That's why yeah. I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Um, she's a fantastic actress and I think she's, she does a great job and I think that they just let her down. And, and especially in season three and four of discovery, it feels almost like she backtracked a little bit from where she had developed, like her arc kind of went backwards a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I felt you know. that way too. Like I, I'm, I'm very happy that she's now the captain of discovery. I don't mean to, I, there's if if for people who are watching, I don't know if there are people who are, who are just who just watch me talk about Star Trek, but for people who <laughs> who do, um, I kick Discovery a lot, and I really don't mean uh, to because it's a show okay. that I that I do enjoy. Yeah. Um. But with Burnham, I I'm glad that she's the captain of Discovery. I think she earned that role. I think she's good mm -hmm. in that role. I just 
I just get a little annoyed sometimes when, especially in season three, when it's kind of like she is, she is the only one that Starfleet needs mm-hmm. to solve this problem. Like the burn would could never have been solved without without Michael Burnham or mm-hmm. 10C could never be solved without Michael Burnham. I'm like, there are other ships. Um, there are other characters on discovery that I yeah. wish we had more screen time with. Mm-hmm. Um, my issues with Michael Burnham have nothing to do with her being the most important main character in the show is that so much time is taken away from other characters. Yeah. That I do want to see. Thing. Yeah. Um, and I wish, I wish that wasn't the case. And I think discovery does try to do that sometimes it's just so often discovery has to be the michael burnham show and i wish i wish that it wasn't yeah that they've they had a lot more balance with other characters post season one but season Mm -hmm. one was was the michael burnham show season two was a lot of that season three it started it started to balance out a little bit more but it's still just yeah i think season Um, four did it the best i don't think it's a great mm-hmm. season i think season four does it the best because we get like oh i'll get oh oh Oshikin gets a gets a really mm-hmm. cool subplot where i'm like oh this is cool i'm glad we're getting more of this right. and i want to see more of that going to season five we're way mm. off topic though i know yeah yeah and it's just because she was mentioned in this comic book and yet maybe she is the most important person in the universe because he, just mentioning her in this comic made us talk about her for like 20 minutes so i mean <laughs> she is she is unfortunately probably the most divisive Care, uh, character in the Star Trek and fan, the Star Trek fandom. I don't think that's right. I think she. No, I, I don't think it's fair. I don't think she's done anything worse than any other main character in the franchise. No, absolutely um, not. But it is. I think the reason why people get so hung up on her is because of that kind of. Um, why I think what why why we did is because we're we we know that she's such a such a um, divisive character and. You know, there's so much to dissect about why that is, and about what mm-hmm. how they play this character, and about what um, what she brings to the role of this character, how the writers what the writers bring. So I think this is some interesting stuff too. You can make a whole podcast probably about just Michael Burnham and just oh, yeah. dissecting her as a character. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, you definitely can. Um, I do want to mention though, uh, getting back on topic though, yes. uh, getting Amanda uh, uh, Spock's mother in this was interesting because we didn't we haven't seen her much in the shows we have seen her a few times but not much Mm -hmm. and so anytime she shows up i just am like yeah and i'm glad that she showed up and not sarek because i'm i love sarek love the actors all of them who have played sarek over the years i'm kind of tired of seeing him he's everywhere he's in every every series of star trek has sarek show up at some point and i'm just kind of like can we take a break from sarek a little bit Amanda is is great and I'm glad that they they had her in here. I don't like the actor who plays him in Discovery. Um Oh really? No, I don't like him very much. I think he oh. plays the character too cold. Um which is which is weird to say. Um Yeah. This is the problem I have with all Discovery Vulcans who was not um Chancellor, no, who was not the president of Navarre in season oh, yeah. three and four, who I love. I think she's delightful. Right. Oh yeah. She's, she's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I, the only Sarek actor I don't like is the one for discovery, but I think you're right. There is, there became a point where it became kind of comical that Sarek was all of a sudden good dad to Michael Burnham, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. to his Vulcan children. Right. And yeah. the fact that, that this, this book does decide to correct that and be like, here's here's a scene with between amanda and spock because that is mm-hmm. the relationship that spock values the most right um was very nice and very sweet and i i really enjoyed that scene yeah i i love when she uses she uses the line um what is it like uh don't stop being adorably clueless or something like that yeah and it's just so funny for you know for someone who is so smart and so educated as as Spock to be told that he's clueless, you know, yeah. is just great because he is he is clueless when it comes to human things and and stuff. And having the that book, you know, that that Michael had uh, adventures in Wonderland, and she left behind Alice through the Looking Glass for him. And he's like, "But I've read it. Why would I need it?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's such a such a Vulcan thing to say. It's like, "I've already read that book. Why do I need to? Why do I need it?" 
the uh, there's also a scene in this where we where we learn that Spock was bullied as a kid, mm-hmm. which is not new to Star Trek because that's actually yeah. something that happened in Star Trek the animated series mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Spock goes back in time to see him as a child. I always find that very interesting how it's become important to showcase how Spock was bullied as a kid mm-hmm. whenever we get kid Spock. Yeah. And yeah. again, this was started in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's like, okay, remember Spock was bullied for being yeah. half human, half Vulcan? I'm like, yeah, okay, we don't, I get it. I get I get Vulcan side hair, whatever the hell that guy, oh, that kid's hair was. <laughs> that was great. It's like, okay, so they do have different hairstyles, not just the bowl cut. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a rebellious bully Vulcan, just like, yeah, I'm going through like my 80s phase. It's like, yeah, it was great. Part- party on the side yeah that was great um yeah i i i did i did enjoy that i i like that the idea that spock um uh when he's gifted the book alice through the looking glass thinks to himself like oh this was just a book that i'm that michael left behind mm-hmm. where but amanda had to tell him no he she didn't leave it behind she left it for you this was a gift mm-hmm. you need to take this because it'll help you right um so I, I did, I did, I did appreciate that. And then Pike showing up and everyone thinking it's Sarek and be like, oh shit, Sarek's back. We got to get the hell out of here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did like the, I, I miss these uniforms. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I did like the discovery enterprise uniforms back in the day. Yeah. The enterprise ones were great. Um, they, I don't know. I, I think I think they've I think all of the Enterprise suits that they've done, even in Strange New Worlds, I think they they've done a good job with that. I think Pike and all of them are I think because they know they're heading towards a specific style and a specific design and they have a specific design that they have to base on, but they're kind of playing with it yeah. is is always fun. I do not like the discovery uh designs. <laughs> I I have a the first militaristic. One. I, they're too militaristic for me. Yeah, yeah, they um, are. Oh, look, I say that, but like my favorite is the Monster Maroon, which are arguably the most militaristic in the franchise. So like, I, I maybe it's just the, yeah. the dark blue that I'm not crazy about. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that the the just the constant because the, the chevron is also in the in the pattern yeah. on the sides and the in the color blocking. It's not just color blocking; it's like actual miniature chevrons are running down. I don't like that. It's too it's yeah. too much. Yeah, it's it, it's a very busy uniform. I never understood the idea of like. Oh, this is this is a, a bridge uniform between between NX01 and original series, and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense because ten years because two years before this first season, they're mm-hmm. in stupid gold turtlenecks, mm-hmm. <laughs> which are canon because yep. we see we've seen those damn turtlenecks on Pike on Pike's uh, uh, yep. uh whatever the hell he's shelf. It's a shelf, right? <laughs> I couldn't remember the word shelf. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the, I also like the, the idea of like, okay, how do we get rid of this giant cleave ship that the Klingons had? Let's just destroy it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. We don't need that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that was a, I do like the, what was the line that Laurel says at the end where it's like, uh, it was something along the lines of death, death is Beth shared with company. I think that's oh, what it's, she- um, Death is an experience best shared or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. Where because they're because she's she's attacked by by the by people who worship Kalis. Right. Um, and they're like, you know, you've gone against the teaching of Kalis and we're going to punish you for it. Mm-hmm. And she says to them as she's killing them, you forgot Kalis's words. Death is right. an experience best shared. And I, I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah, it was like it was like, oh man, like that line was so good. That stood out to me as like just so great. I'm, I, I like that because she just just plunges the ship right into a mountain and just yeah. <laughs> takes them all out at one time. And that's a <laughs> hell of a ship. Like that 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 thing is. I, I'm not crazy about the Klingon design, the Discovery Klingon ship designs. I think they're pretty, yeah, weird. Um, but I I I I, I like that idea of like this massive cleave ship that can like mm-hmm. destroy starships just by what's just by touching them mm-hmm. just being just just being plummeted into a mountain yep i yeah. thought that was cool it's like so that 
so much for being a peaceful neutral ground planet. It's like we just mm -hmm. just destroyed a Klingon ship on in into a mountain. It's like okay. And those Klingons that attack her, they they're more on the the wharf side of the Klingon designs, mm -hmm. which I thought they was are. Cool. Yeah, I like that they're they had their like like ninja suits as well i'm gonna call them because they were all like covered up in their faces and she even points out she's like you know uh you're a coward you're not showing your faces <laughs> like that's yeah. that's not the klingon way you're you're accusing me of being not following the klingon way and here you are covering your faces and attacking in the shadows it's like that's not a klingon way of doing things mm -hmm. yeah I, I i did enjoy i i did enjoy this book for the most part it just kind of feels like um well filler's not the right word yeah but it, it it feels like it's inconsequential i guess yeah and i think i think i think that's in hindsight i think that's because yeah. in hindsight we know where all of this leads and it leads to nothing basically because we know that you know spock ends up back on the enterprise we know all this stuff already so in hindsight it does feel kind of like a nothing book because mm -hmm. it is it is just like they, they didn't give us anything new or interesting enough that we can carry on into the next you know into the series into strange new worlds yeah but i have to think back to when this book came out i probably would have been super excited to read it uh, sure if i had I read it you know if i had read it because it because it was like yeah because where where discovery ended I didn't know we were going to get more Pike. I didn't know we were going to get any of that. So, and so, you know, having the further adventures of Pike and, and the, you know, the, the slight political drama that you have from trying to negotiate peace with Klingons, which we know is not going to work yet because we know when it happens. Um, but still, at least you get that little political side of things, uh, I, I think is interesting. Um, so, you know, I would have been more excited about it back in the day, but just in hindsight, nothing in this book none of the ideas in this book really have carried over into the series yeah and i think that's, that's kind of the that's yeah. kind of the issue that i've always had with uh licensed comics um mm -hmm. which is that too often they feel like smaller side stories and i always wanted them to feel bigger i wanted them to feel important and i get that they can't because the the, the show needs to take the priority. The show needs to be important. Right. It needs to carry the character development and carry the thing. So you can't really do significant character development in a side comic because if the general audience isn't reading it, then they miss an aspect of the, sh of the show. Right. That's why you invent new characters and follow them in the comic books, like That's they've true. done in some of the Star Wars comics with Dr. Aphra and things right. like that. It's like, you know, and it, it that's what you have to do. And it does help when you like make a comic book that is um, that is set between episodes or set between um, movies. For example, the Star Wars comics, like you just said, mm -hmm. like it, you can tell the story of how Luke went from A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back. That right. creates a character arc that the general audience doesn't need, but it creates a big moment for comic book for comic yeah. book readers to enjoy. Um, but you can't really, but to use star trek as a, to use star wars as an example again the original star wars comics from, from marvel they mm -hmm. couldn't have boba fett drop off han solo they couldn't right. have uh, uh han solo be found by by luke and leia because otherwise because they didn't know return of the jedi was coming yet right so they kept being this this cat and mouse game for like three years before return of the jedi came out yeah and that's why you get jackson the space rabbit Right, the, the <laughs> damn space rabbit. I love that guy. Um, and so, and and that's kind of why I think that's I think what what is benefiting really now from Star Trek, and we'll, we're going to be talking more about Star, more Star Trek comics in the future. One of the ones I want to do is Year Five, and mm -hmm. uh, the current Star Trek ongoing run, which are both written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelling, and they have the benefit of setting their books in times that have already we've already seen these characters grow mm -hmm. and, and we know where these arcs go so you can create new arcs for these characters and right um cisco is back in in, mm. in the current star trek ongoing and so you can have fun with it and you can make them feel big and you can make them feel like events again whereas this i think bene doesn't benefit because they didn't know strange new worlds was coming they they hoped mm -hmm. but they didn't know that it was coming yeah um but otherwise it's a fun read it's a breezy light read it's only three issues 
yeah yeah it's real and i read and again i read the the because i didn't know if we were going to talk about it but in my version of it i had the captain saru uh section so i was like okay i'm gonna read this just in case we talk about that too um which was another one that was just kind of inconsequential um very interesting i i i will say that if we do talk about it it is it is a fun one shot uh just kind of dives into a little bit more about saru as a character um which is you know great i love saru so <laughs> but I yeah it is they did not read that it's uh yeah but yeah this this book aftermath is i i guess i was expecting more because when you're talking about like i'm going into this and i i read the blurb about it and it says the fallout of season two of discovery we're going to see what happens. Well, this the fallout of season two is Discovery disappears in the middle of like a war between Starfleet and Starfleet because <laughs> you know like uh, what's his um, control has mm-hmm. taken over Starfleet and the Klingons join in and the the uh, the uh, what is it uh, Saru's you know people join in and. And so you have this huge, and they just and and discovery transports into the future. We but you know, we know that, but then the the rest of the universe doesn't know that. They think they're destroyed, and so it's like that's a big thing. And I was like, man, you know, I'd love to see you know the immediate fallout because we see in Strange New Worlds like ye- uh, you know a year or so later the fallout from it. But what happened like immediately after that, and then it's just like oh hey, yeah. It, it, it's this oh this is this is fun but it yeah. just kind of yeah this doesn't feel like fallout right this doesn't right. feel like it doesn't feel like it's it, it doesn't feel like it's this season season two ends with such a bang and this kind of feels mm-hmm. like eh, and then you know we tried to make peace with the Klingons, but it didn't work oh well yeah and and so we'll try again later and you know, it's yeah. just like okay whatever you know that and, that, like- and that Go ahead. yeah no, no, no. I, I was just completely agreeing with you. Yeah. And that's how that's how it was. And so it was it was disappointing. Yeah. I like Kirsten, I like Kirsten Beyer. And I, and I think she writes I think she writes these characters well. The, the, I mm-hmm. I could hear um, I could hear oh, yeah. Peck and Anson Mount in the in this dialogue. And that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's got a good sense of the voices of the characters. So, you know, so if you're if you go into it with the expectation of knowing that it's not this big huge epic fallout thing and and just look at it as just a little side kind of almost like the little like what is it like 15 minutes or not even 15 minute long little things that they do sometimes or that they were doing the little side mission yeah the short tracks yeah yeah if you look at it as kind of like that as one of those just in print form it works it works because the characters feel like the characters yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. This feels like a short track in a good yeah. way. In a good yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I just, I guess, I just was expecting more from it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, next time we're going to be doing another. Um, if you're done, if we're done, you yeah. More you want? Yeah. Um, so next time we're going to be doing another Strange New Worlds comic. We're going to do the bridge comic between season one and two, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Illyrian Enigma. I think it's called. Okay. Don't have it in front of me, um, but. Uh, so that will be we're kind of, I kind of wanted to kind of uh, ease us in back into the series with these Strange New Worlds books because Strange New Worlds started to air. And then we're going to be going into a more meatier uh, uh, book series. The uh, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think we're just going to do the Mirror Universe comics. next. Oh, yeah. OK, so that'll be fun. Um, so, but yeah. So right now, just easing us back in. Uh, so, yeah. So thank you, Travis. This was fun. Yeah, it was. It was nice. It was nice getting to talk about Trek. I love it. Uh, so why don't you plug your stuff um yeah so anybody who's interested in checking out uh if you're a fan of giant monster related stuff you can check out kaijuramamedia.com we have a, a fan magazine that we publish digitally and also have a i was in the rubber- latest issue yeah yeah issue nine uh was all king kong uh related so if you're interested in king kong go check it out we still have a few copies of of issue nine the physical copies digital copies are always available um but yeah i'm on some other podcasts i'm on kaiju weekly which are our weekly news that where we talk about the giant monster uh stuff so we have a youtube channel that's kaiju ramen media on youtube um but yeah so if you want to find out anything about what i do uh, just check out kaijuramanmedia.com. You can also follow kaiju underscore ramen on Twitter. Very cool. Um, guys, this is Fickner Book Club. You can, of course, find this on the Fickner Podcast family of podcasts. Uh, that's kind of what I've unofficially titled our network. Um, <laughs> 
So this is uh, welcome back, Fickner Book Club. Happy to have it back. If you want to hear more from myself or my, or my co-host on the Fickner Podcast, you can of course check out Fickner Podcast, which uh, goes live every Sunday, uh, where we talk about movies and comic books and TV shows and more more comic books. We have a weekly book club segment on that show. Um, there's more coming from the Fickner Book Club. Uh, just the the kind of feed that we're going we're going to populate the feed with some of our older book clubs on the on on the main show so that'll be cool getting more people uh to hear us talk about comic books um there's plenty of other shows um i I do kind of want to keep this quick because there's a lot of shows so i will say (laughs) fake nerds watch is returning with new episodes of star trek strange new worlds um that's gonna be uh that's not going to be with cookie from just little podcast sadly he is having a child and you know, <clears throat> we get. I've already got Sparks and Ryan to do it. <laughs> Dang it! Uh, uh. So, so uh, Sparks and Ryan will be joining me on that one. Um, that that so that'll be that'll be interesting. That'll be fun. Um, and I do a solo show, which is currently going through its second season, called Conversation. Conversation is a is a fun little show I put on. Uh, where I where I talk to other podcasters about their fandoms and their fandom journey. Travis, you were on the first season of that show. Yep. Yep. Um, I am about halfway through season two now, and uh, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but it, it might be the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Uh, I'm really enjoying the season. Uh, lots of Indiana Jones stuff coming on this channel, guys. This is a Star Trek show. I shouldn't be telling you about my other love of Indiana Jones, but hey, I'm doing a bunch of Indiana Jones stuff if anyone gives a shit. <laughs> um. Yeah, that, so that'll do it. You can find, of course, more information about that on our new website, FakerPodcast.com. Um, I have re, I've rebuilt our website. It is back, so please check it out. And, of course, you nice. can check out our Tee Public on our Patreon if you want to support us financially. Greatly appreciate all the help you can do. Um, yeah, that'll do it. So Fickner Podcast on all the social medias. I'm at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me writing for CBR.com, um, AtomicGeekdom.com, and, of course, KaijuRamaMedia.com, where I am also the mm-hmm. website editor. Yeah. Um, So that'll do it, guys. Until next time, live long and prosper.